0: from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is the podcast version of our webcast, so some of the slides we might reference will be missing, but you can find the whole episode on our YouTube page. This is Endpoint Security Got You Down, No PowerShell, No Problem with Marcelo Salvati. Enjoy.
1: All righty. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining again. Uh, We're going to be talking about a somewhat new red teaming technique. The reason why I say somewhat is uh, because I I have a really, I don't like saying new because I'm pretty sure that if I think of it, a lot of other people have thought of it. And also it really isn't a completely new red teaming technique because we've sort of been doing a version of what I will be describing, whether you realize it or not, in like a lot of tools that we've, we've all been using as red teamers and pentesters for quite a while. So this is more of like a spin on an old technique my spin on an old technique it w- should be interesting. All right, so this is our agenda for today. We're going to we're gonna be covering some um, key .NET framework concepts. The reason why is because uh, we, all, we all have to get on the same page, and to completely understand how this is even possible, we all have to know some key framework concepts. Also, I feel like just talking to Pentesters and Red Teamers up, there's somewhat a little bit of a confusion regarding some of the .NET framework terms that have been thrown around recently with all the C-sharp tooling coming about, so I feel like it would be a good refresher for everybody. And just... Prefacing that I am going to be saying.net framework assembly and.net like a lot throughout this webinar. So just bear with me here. After that, we're going to be talking about how to embed interpreter engines, technical details on how to do that. There will be some code. And then we're going to be covering some key differences between like BYOI payloads. So bring your own interpreter payloads versus traditional c payloads. BYOI, by the way, is a, is a thing that I just came up with. So like, don't be surprised if you haven't heard of that anywhere. And then we're going to be talking about the new Silent Trinity update. So Silent Trinity is the f- tool that I've wrote. It's sort of like a post-exploitation tool that tries to weaponize some of the BYOI concepts. It's been around since last DerbyCon, but it was essentially beerware. It was like in a POC stage. So th- with the new update, it brings it from beerware to alpha, which is a is sort of a big jump. We're then we're going to be doing a demo and we're going to be talking about some detection mechanisms and then we're going to be going with the Q&A. So first things first, we got to understand what is a .NET assembly, because I feel like a lot of people have heard this term been thrown around a lot and not actually understood like what it is. All you really need to know is that a .NET assembly is a blob of precompiled code that any .NET language can interpret and execute. That's a very high level description of what that actually is. And we're not going to be getting into the details of like the.net assembly format, just because like that's, that's not for the sake of this webcast. That'll take way too long. But all you really need to know is that any.net language can interpret and execute any.net assembly. Okay. So how do you go about generating a.net assembly? Well, it's pretty easy actually. So you take any.net language. So we're going to take C sharp in this case, and you compile it into an executable using visual studio or csc.exe, which is the built-in compiler for C sharp. So you compile c into a .exe, and, you, and that, that .exe is a .NET assembly, okay? Here's where things get a little bit interesting, because if you compile c into a DLL, that DLL is also a .NET assembly. So from the fr- .NET framework's perspective, the .exe and the .DLL are the same exact thing, because they're both have been compiled from a .NET language, which in this case is c So that's an, a key distinction, a really important concept to understand is that .NET assemblies are not the same as native XEs and DLLs. So by native XEs and DLLs, I mean executables and DLLs compiled using C or C++. Okay. The format is completely different. So just because they have the .exe extension, they're not the same thing. So if you compile a .NET language into an assembly, that's going to be a completely different format as a native XE and DLL. Okay. So that's just a thing to get out of the way. So as I said earlier, like an assembly is something that any .NET language can interpret and execute. So let's take a look at some of the .NET languages here. So we got PowerShell, we got C sharp and we got F So these are like the three officially supported Microsoft .NET languages that I'm aware of. At least there might be others that I might've missed. These are the ones that I know of. So these are all .NET languages. What's really interesting is that. There are other .NET with third-party .NET languages as well, such as Iron Python. Iron Python is just a Python implementation, a Python the implementation of the Python programming language on top of the .NET framework. Okay. There's also BooLang, which is somewhat of a lesser-known third-party .NET language, but it's very, very interesting from an offensive tradecraft perspective. We'll be talking about that later. And there's also Iron Ruby. So, like, if you want to write Ruby while accessing the entire .NET API, you can totally do that. The key thing to understand here is that all of these languages are built on the same exact framework. They're built on the .NET framework, okay? So what that means is that because of that, these languages are completely interoperable with each other. So you can embed C-sharp into Python, Python into C-sharp, or rather, sorry, PowerShell into C-sharp, C-sharp into PowerShell, and it'll just work because they're all based on the dotnet framework. Okay. And they're all bound together by a single unit of execution, which is the dotnet assembly. Okay. So that's just the important thing to understand here is that these languages are completely interoperable with each other. So now that we understand that, let's talk about, let's talk about the reason why C-sharp tradecraft has been all the rage recently. Okay. And I think this is another core concept to understand when it comes to C-sharp Tradecraft, because it all really the root of why it's so appealing for red teamers and pen testers is because of this single function called assembly.load, okay? Assembly.load is magical because it, uh, it, it accepts, among many other things, as the first argument, a byte array. So the implication of that is that you can just feed it raw bytes of a .NET assembly, okay? And it will take those raw bytes, load that .NET assembly in memory, and now you have full access to all of the code that you've defined in your .NET assembly. And remember, like, how do you generate .NET assembly? You generate that by compiling any .NET language. The, the, the de facto one is C-sharp, okay? So this is really at the core root at why like, C-sharp is really, or really any .NET language, really is appealing from a tradecraft perspective because this one single function really is, when you go to think about it, the equivalent of having reflective DLL injection and reflective PE injection built into a language and into a single function, because a as we talked about previously, like a C-sharp DLL is a .NET assembly.
0: A hey, Marcelo, a quick question. Yeah. A comment, uh, not much of a dev. Does that essentially mean you can write PowerShell, pepper it with Ruby and Python, then compile it into a .NET compatible exe and it'll just work?
1: Yes. So, incredibly enough, yes. That's and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about uh, later on. Only we're not going to be using Ruby, but we're going to be Ruby, Iron Ruby. So it's important again, like the distinction here is you would have to use Iron Ruby, obviously, not the original implementation of Ruby. The implementation I think, at least the original implementation of Ruby is based on C. So that's not a .NET language. Iron Ruby is based on the framework. So yes, as long as it's a .NET language. It can—they're it, completely interoperable with each other, and this is at the—this is exactly what this webinar is going to be about, and we're going to be talking about a little bit of that later, only with Iron Python as opposed to Ruby. Are there any other Jason? Are there any questions before I go on? By the way,
0: uh, just one more—I think it is, so flood the mem memory space byte array with a NOP sled, then followed by the payloads. i, th- I think they're trying to figure out how this works.
1: Uh, no, you literally just give assembly so the assembly that load function just accepts a byte array. So you can literally just give it the raw bytes of a .net assembly, right? So you compile C# into a, a .exe, you can just read the, the raw bytes of that exe and feed it into assembly.load and it'll work.
0: Gotcha. I think we're good.
1: So this is so again, like this is really the at the root of why C# tradecraft is so appealing because this assembly, that load function is built into the language. Okay. And, and so I, I'm just, I keep saying C sharp, but just keep in mind, any .NET language has the assembly that load function. Okay. But you just, it, it's a, it's basically reflective DLL, reflective PE injection built natively supported by a programming language. Okay. And there are a lot of implications to that. One of them is that this allows embedding interpreters and engines within other .NET languages. And incredibly enough, you've probably all done this at least once or twice using a tool that uh, a lot of pentesting and red teaming tools in a certain way or fashion. So de facto example of this is using something like Powerline, so, and, or something like NPS, for example, not PowerShell. So Powerline is just a C-sharp executable, okay, that embeds a PowerShell run space. So it's embedding the PowerShell runtime inside of the C-sharp executable, okay? And the reason why it does this is to bypass people who have locked down PowerShell.exe. So PowerLine is basically meant to run PowerShell without PowerShell.exe, okay? And the reason why you can do this is because PowerShell and c are both .NET languages. So they're completely interoperable, which means you can totally embed just the actual PowerShell interpreter runtime, or whatever you want to call it, I guess run space is the, is the actual term, in a C-sharp binary and just execute PowerShell code. You can even do the reverse. And you've done this a lot in a lot of PowerShell, offensive PowerShell scripts. A lot of how offensive PowerShell scripts do this in order to access native methods, with the exception of like the powersplit stuff, which uses like a whole different thing. But you can embed C-sharp code in a PowerShell script. So like the example on the right here. So that's just, Literally copy and pasted a C sharp class into a PowerShell script, and then all you do is call this add type function. Now, this add type function goes out, calls csc.exe, which is the built in C sharp compiler, which is installed by default on every Windows machine, dynamically compiles that C sharp code, calls assembly.load in the back end to load it into your current PowerShell runtime, and now you have just magically, that all happens at the back end. After that, you just have magically access to all of the functions that you defined in your c code. And this is mainly used to call native methods. And by native methods, I mean like low-level 132 API calls that usually are needed to like inject shell code and that kind of stuff. So this you've been doing this in one way or another already. Like this is not something new. But the thing is this, right? There are more than just PowerShell and c language like the PowerShell and C# Sharp are not the only .NET languages, right? There are, there's F# Sharp, there's Iron Python there's a bunch of third-party .NET languages that we can do the same thing with, okay? And from a red team tradecraft perspective, the advantages of doing that are enormous because as of right now All of the defenses that are in place for PowerShell are confined to the PowerShell runtime, okay? They're not built into the .NET framework itself. They're not built into the underlying framework. So that means that all you have to do to get around all of PowerShell's defenses, so AMSI, script block logging, transcription logging, module logging, constrained language mode, all of those go away immediately the minute you switch to a different .NET language. C Sharp, for example, was the, and that's why we're seeing this huge tooling migration towards C, C Sharp right now, because C Sharp is by far like the most similar language to PowerShell. And hell, you even needed to know C Sharp somewhat to do certain things in PowerShell. So, like, it was just like an, an, a, the, the most logical jump, right? But it, it's not only PowerShell, like, you can use Iron Python. And because these are completely interoperable with each other, you can embed Iron Python in PowerShell. You can embed PowerShell in Iron Python. You can embed c into into Ruby. You can embed Iron Ruby into Boolang. Like th- th- these whole, all of these are interoperable with each other because they're based on the, the same framework, okay? So the problems, okay, well, before I jump into that, actually, so the, the main reason why you'd want to actually do that though is because C# Sharp is a compiled language as opposed to Iron Python, which is a scripting language. And we'll talk about like and from an operational red team perspective, like that is a, that is sort of a big deal. So you can use the Iron Python scripting language natively on Windows by embedding it in a C# Sharp binary. Okay, and we're going to be talking about how to actually do that now. And that this is really at the core about of what Silent Trinity does. This is this is the core concept that Silent Trinity uses. Okay.
0: Uh, so, Marcel, a quick question. Yeah, yeah, sure. Can you can you nest these indefinitely, such as embed yeah. Iron Python into Iron Ruby into BooLang yes. into Power?
1: Absolutely. This is the this is the fun part. It's called an engine inception. You can nest multiple engines within each other. I think Iron Python has like the best implementation of this because you can literally embed infinite amount of engines within each other if you wanted to for some reason, like I'm not, I'm not sure why that's a thing, but you can embed an Iron Python engine within an Iron Python engine, within a C-sharp binary, within like a PowerShell script if you wanted to. And that's actually, that's incredibly enough, that's how the PowerShell stager for the new Silent Trinity update works. So yeah, you can totally embed multiple engines within each other.
0: I think you're blowing a bunch of minds right now. Yeah.
1: Does, the target,
0: does the target need to have Python binaries to run, or does the embedding take care of those dependencies?
1: So we're going to actually talk about that right now. So the embedding, straight out of the box, if you didn't pull any trickery with assembly loading and stuff, yes, you need to install. So again, and just the key distinction here. This is not normal Python, this is Iron Python, okay? Because Python is based off of CPython, which is based in C. So this is, that's a completely different language. Iron Python is based on .NET, right? But natively, so b- you can't run native Iron Python scripts on Windows, because when you embed the engine, it requires four DLLs that are not present on Windows by default, okay? So, and these are the DLLs. So there's Iron Python that DLL. there's Iron Python that modules that DLL. Microsoft dynamic, Microsoft scripting. If I recall correctly, two, those two Microsoft DLLs are signed. Don't quote me on that. The IronPython and IronPython module DLL are not. So it when you embed an engine within, well, IronPython engine at least, within a C-sharp binary, these four DLLs are required, okay? So how do you get those DLLs to run? Like, how do you, how do you get them on the target system, right? There are a number of ways. Like, you can, I mean, from an operational perspective, like I don't, it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be great if to call like your target up and just say, Hey, can you install iron Python for me so I can like run my malwares? Right. So we need to figure out a way to run iron Python natively without the actual installation process. Well, these four DLLs are the only thing that are actually required in order to spin up an iron Python engine within a C-sharp binary. Okay. So traditionally the way you did this in any really .net is in C# specifically is use something called IL merge IL merge really high level just takes all the assemblies that your C# that your C# executable needs to run and just merges them within the within that a single binary itself okay and does some like hooking stuff so that when the C# binary actually runs it automatically just loads them from the binary resources okay but the problem with IL merge is that it actually is really hacky, and it doesn't handle a bunch of edge cases, and it also has absolutely, it doesn't handle at all support for dynamic languages, and by dynamic languages, I mean like scripting, uh, .NET scripting languages such as like F-sharp and Iron Python. So IL merge is out of the question. What's great about C-sharp though, there was this one guy who wrote C-sharp book and posted this on an MSDN blog, this technique on an MSDN blog. Turns out... In C# and again, like these APIs, this is just these are just .NET APIs. So when I say C#, it's the same thing in like F# or PowerShell or Iron Python. There's this one hook. It's called the assembly resolve hook. Okay, and this hook gets called. This function gets called every time .NET fails to resolve an assembly. Okay, so when you run it's your C# executable with an embedded Iron Python engine, it's gonna try to call assembly.load on those four DLLs automatically, because they're just the required dependency, right? Well, the problem is if they're not installed in the GAC, which is basically like the equivalent of like the path on next system, where it, like all of your .NET assemblies, all of the default .NET assemblies are in the global assembly cache, which is called the GAC. The C-sharp will call the assembly resolve function every time it fails to load an assembly. So what we can do is we can actually hook this function and add our custom logic into it. So whenever, C sharp fails to resolve an assembly it will call this function and this gives us an incredible amount of flexibility because you can just throw your logic in this one function and you can just uh, and return an assembly and just call assembly load once you re, once you actually pull down the DLLs and automatically C sharp will just load the assemblies for you and this is exactly what silent trinity does so silent trinity has some logic in this uh, my resolve event handler function, which is which is basically just a hook on the assembly resolve method that downloads a zip file, an encrypted zip file. Now that's that's part of the new update, which we'll talk about later. Automatically unzips it, sees if the requested assembly is in the zip file, and just loads it dynamically into memory. Okay, so whenever the Silent Trinity C Sharp stager fails to resolve an assembly, it will download it directly from the server because we can put any, and that's just like one possibility, right? Because you can put any custom logic in this one event handler, which is fantastic. And then after that, all you really need to do is just call Python.createEngine. Python is a uh, cl- is a type of the iron hosting namespace. Um, so python.createEngine that embeds a Python engine, and then you just call engine.execute, and that will just literally run Python code. So in this case, I'm just printing what to the screen. So that, that's literally all you need to do, which is fantastic at, at a really high level. Once you do that, you can just throw Python scripts at that engine and it'll just execute them. So this is bas- this is taken from like the message box module in Silent Trinity. It's literally like seven lines of Python. Like it's probably gonna be like four if you get rid of the, the, the spaces. But the it, you're just calling the CL, you're just importing the CLR module, which is Iron Python's way of referencing assemblies. Okay. So you do CLR that add reference system, windows, forms, which references this windows forms assembly. You just import the class that you need from that namespace. And then you just call message box on it. So you're, you're now you're dynamically executing. net assemblies from an, uh, dynamically executing. net APIs from an embedded iron Python engine within a C C# binary, which is pretty legit, I think. Yeah, go ahead.
0: So, we got a couple of people who are asking, wouldn't requirement of additional DLLs that are not native permit the red team to just monitor for those DLLs and just negate execution?
1: Yeah, so the thing is this, that's sort of the problem that we're facing right now because there are no optics, there's not a good way of determining which assemblies, like you you can okay, so there's not a good way of detecting specific assemblies that are getting loaded reflectively okay so you can do it you can detect it using event tracing and we'll talk about this during the detection phase of this webinar but you can do it using something called etw which is event tracing for windows the problem with that is i don't think there is a tool right now that allows you to capture this information at scale so in an organization like you won't be you just won't be able to do it and the reason why you can't detect these assemblies being loaded is because there aren't any optics into the .net framework right now because like if we let's go back to this chart remember like we're now like way beyond powershell like we're just in a completely different dimension than powershell we're actually talking directly to the .net framework from a third party language that doesn't have any of those defenses built in so there are no optics in place for that right now so we're just completely bypassing powershell all of the PowerShell defenses with a third-party language because all of those defenses are built into the PowerShell runtime as opposed to the underlying framework, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think we're good, you can move.
1: Sweet. So like, so at this point, we've embedded an Iron Python engine. We've, res- we've solved the problem of natively executing Iron Python scripts on a Windows machine and dynamically resolving assemblies we can just throw iron Python scripts at this one C sharp binary and it just dynamically execute them and dynamically called net API. So from here, like this is just a, a really dumb example, but you can do anything that PowerShell can do using iron Python. And with a couple of exceptions, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I found the way around this exception. So that's fine. So now let's, let's get into like, talk about like difference between BYOI payloads and versus traditional C sharp payloads and pros and cons for each. Right? So. C-sharp payloads, it's pretty, C-sharp is always pretty straightforward, like it's just straightforward. It works against all .NET versions, but the problem operationally is that there's a lot of compiling all the time. Like you just have to compile the state, you have to compile all your modules, like you just have to compile everything all the time. And there's also like a pretty big overhead in terms of setting up a development environment because of Visual Studio and all that stuff. So like operationally, it isn't the best, right? It's not a scripting language. And you also have to worry about the .NET version for everything because you have to compile your C-sharp against a specific .NET version if your target has like a a less than 4.0 version of .NET installed. So it was like there's all these things to take into consideration. I suppose the BYOI payloads, right? So because we're interfacing with .NET through a scripting language now, this means that number one, from an operator's perspective, from like a pen tester's perspective, you can now build your modules in a scripting language of your choice as opposed to C sharp, right? So you're using all the power of Python or the power of Ruby or the power of Boolang to build your modules that just interact with the the.NET API, which is a major advantage because like this, you don't have to you don't you don't necessarily have to learn C sharp now because like you just build your modules that inject shellcode through the the.NET with Python. And you can take advantage of all of Python's string interpolation stuff. That's a little bit more straightforward than C sharp. So like, it's just easier to, to use this way. You don't have to compile stuff. The most that you have to compile things is once for the C sharp stager. So everything after that is dynamically executed. So you don't have to keep compiling your assemblies all the time. It also allows for quick retooling and weaponization, because again, it's a scripting language, right? So if you come across something that you've never encountered before and you need to write a module on the fly, it's Python. Like or Ruby, or whatever language you choose to embed. So like it's just more efficient. So from an operational perspective, it's, it, I think it's just more efficient. And we already co- talked about this because the concept of engine inception, right? You can embed you can even you can embed multiple languages within each other, multiple interpreter languages within each other. So not only are you creating ins- like insane amounts of reflection all the time, it which will which is really hard to detect, all of these this embedding going on, but it also allows you to, uh, allows an incredible amount of flexibility in terms of module creation and payload execution. Because, like, you can, like, say you, you wrote a module, like, someone wrote a module in Ruby, you can just embed the Ruby interpreter within your C payload, and now you can just run that. Like, say, so, so, and then a friend of yours wrote, like, a Boolang module. You can just run the Boolang module. It's, it's fine. Like, whatever language you choose to embed, like, you can execute. And there's also the the fact that there's ephemeral code slash modules. So what I mean by that is when you execute Python code through an embedded interpreter, from my understanding, my current understanding of this, which might change, and from the code that I've seen, is that after the actual Python gets executed, it's get, it gets garbage collected, which means that the Python code that you're executing, should not be an even in memory like it only executes in memory and after it finishes executing it just disappears so if you went to actually perform memory live memory forensics on an incident where something like this was running on and you didn't capture the memory the memory at the exact same time as the module was executing that your code your malicious code was executing i don't i'm pretty sure you will not even find it in memory so it's it's like this whole it's where it's a whole different ballgame. There are, there are some downsides to using BYOI payloads though. The main is the main downside as of right now is that it usually will not work on .NET less than 4.0. And the reason why is because there are certain there's certain keywords like there's the dynamic keyword that was introduced in .NET 4.0 that allows all of this stuff to work. However, I, I think I have figured out a way. To get around that, but it will require a decent amount of time and effort. So, but as of right now, none of this like Silent Trinity won't work on machines that have .NET version installed less than 4.0. But my argument for that is that the only the reason why you'd want to use Silent Trinity in the first place is to interact with .NET without PowerShell, right? So. Because of that, if you're on a machine with .NET like 3 installed or 2 installed, you can just revert back to using PowerShell scripts. So like in my mind, there really isn't, that really isn't a con, per se, because you could just use the old PowerShell tooling if you come across a machine that has .NET 2.0 installed, for example. So and this brings us to Silent Trinity. This is the tool that I've been talking about, I've been developing for quite a while now. And um, it sort of tries to weaponize a lot of these concepts. And we're going to be talking, and let's really quickly, I'm going to be demoing this in a second. We're going to be, let's really quickly talk about like some of the updates. So it went from zero zero to 1, 0.1.0. So we're out of the beerware stage, we're out of the of concept stage and we're to alpha, which is a good thing. A lot of big updates. So the first one is that being the comms between the C-sharp stager and the server are completely encrypted using elliptic curve, Diffie-Hellman key exchange, which is a hell of a mouthful, AES-256 and HVAC. So it uh, uses public key cryptography and everything's completely encrypted, including the staging. So the actual zip file with the DLLs that it gets sent down to the client, that's all encrypted. It also now integrates BooLang support. So you can now create BooLang payloads, send it down, and it'll, those go get ex- executed as well. And I'll be talking about BooLang a little bit in a second. The uh, CLI tab completes everything, which is fantastic. So uh, previously, it did sort of tab complete a lot, but uh, the actual GUIDs of the sessions that you got were are very long and did not tab complete that, and that was like really annoying. So I, that that's everything's tab complete enough. You can now customize the check-in interval of the sessions using the sleep command, which is always good. And there's now a help menu function, which you know that 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 also comes in handy. So Boolang support. The reason why boolang is is interesting. So IronPython has this, uh, embedding Iron Python within C-sharp has this one key deficit, which is that you can't access native methods directly. The reason for that is because in order to import functions in native DLLs, which you can do in C-sharp, it needs a third-party module, as in, not a third-party module, rather, a, a module in, in IronPython standard library. When you embed the IronPython engine, it does not have access to the standard library anymore, which is fine because you could just use.net to accomplish everything that you needed to do. So it's fine. But the problem is that one CLR module, it was required in order to access native methods, so to call like all the functions that injected shellcode, for example, to call all the low level functions to do like crazy, like crazy stuff that we could have, we could do like inject Mimi cats and all that stuff you needed to access native methods in order to do that. And you couldn't Iron Python. So. Boolang, on the other hand, is very interesting. Number one, at least for me. Number one is because it's extremely inspired by Python. So the syntax is almost completely the same, but it also has native support for importing native functions using just like you would in C-sharp, the DLL import attribute. So you can just decorate a uh, function with DLL import, as you see here, in this case, we're calling the mini-dump-write-dump API, which allows us to take a memory dump of a specific process. And we're dumping LSAS. So we can now, through Boolang, have access to native methods, which is fantastic because this allows us to go as high as we want, as low as we want, and to do all the crazy stuff that we usually need to do during routines, teams, like inject shellcode. Another really cool thing about Boolang is that when you compile, usually the way you compiled, we did this through PowerShell, was through that add type function that I talked about previously. The problem with that, from a, from a tradecraft standpoint, calling add type is not ideal because it leaves artifacts on disk. Because when you compile c code through PowerShell, it uses CAC.exe and it leaves temporary assemblies to disk. So the advantage of using BooLang for this is that everything is in memory, like nothing touches disk. The way it does this is through IL code, so intermediate language code, which we won't get into. But it dynamically creates an assembly and then executes an assembly directly native, just directly in memory. So nothing touches disk. And you have access to native APIs. Demo. Okay. The first thing I'm going to do is start up Silent Trinity. So all you do is type Python, you download the repo, you install it, python.st.py, and it dumps you into the menu. So if you've uh, used Empire or Metasploit before, you'll feel at home here. It also has. Uh, Read the concept of resource files. So, like in you know Metasploit, where you can give it a resource file, which will like automate sending commands to the CLI. You can do that too. So in this case, I'm going to give it a resource file, which just automatically starts an HTTPS listener for us. Okay. And before I like execute anything, I just want to point out like I love the way I built the UI in this thing, so I'm just really excited to show this off. So like the autocomplete function in this is pretty cool. Like it shows. It shows like all of the, if you press tab, it gives you like a little menu thing that you can choose your command from. It also has the help command now. So if you're more into using the traditional style of things. That's great. So, once you have this all set up, you now need to generate a stager. So you go into stagers. So now we lit, so you list the available stagers. Right now, the in the new update, this is the new update. So there's PowerShell, there's Wimic and MS Build. So PowerShell, pretty straightforward. Wimic uh uses the XSL command execution method discovered by SubT. The thing about that is is that Defender will just block that. So it's there just for like posterity's sake. It's it's there just so like you can you can test in your environment that, that actually does get blocked. Um the one my favorite though is MS build, and we'll be using that for a second. So it's really easy. Just use MS build. There aren't any options for a, a MS, the MS build stager yet. Uh, so you just generate it. The way you generate it is that you just hit generate and then you give the listener name. So up here, we started a listener called HTTPS. Pretty straightforward. So you just generate HTTPS, right? So that will now generate to disk, wherever the server is at, a MS build file with an inline C Sharp task that will embed an iron python engine and do all the stuff that's needed to get us a silent trinity stager so i just copied that over here already so this is our ms build stager here i'm going to open up a powershell window and uh thankfully the server gives us a handy dandy the handy dandy command to you in order to get this running so you literally just have to copy and paste this into the window here and there you go so that already did everything so what it did let's let's break this down so first thing it does it does an http post request to the endpoint on the server in which does the public key exchange okay so it does the key exchange it then generates a shared key and then once we did that it downloads the encrypted zip file so you got downloaded 1, 1. 1.9 megabytes which is the zip file containing the assemblies then it embedded the IronPython engine, C-sharp automatically resolved all of the necessary assemblies inside of the zip file. So you see here, I found IronPython, DLL and zip, found and that's main.py.zip. So main.py is in the zip file as well. And that is the main logic of the payload, if that makes sense. So the actual logic for the session, the actual stage logic really isn't in the C sharp assembly itself. It's just Python code that gets dynamically loaded. So the implications of that is that if you like if you now like try to decompile uh this this C sharp stager, so like the C sharp stager of uh silent Trinity on this, the only thing you'd really see is just a are like a URL and some HTTP call calls being made to the URL. You wouldn't be able to look at the logic itself because it's only in memory and it's being executed dynamically through the iron Python engine. Okay. So once it did that, it also loaded the boolang interpreter DLLs, which are needed to uh, get Boolang executing. And once we have that, you see here that sent the stage on the server side. Now we have a session. So let's go over to sessions. This is going to look awful because the font is insanely large, but um, so we got the good here. And we got the user. We can type info, and this is the great part because now everything's auto-completed, so good. You don't have to type that out, thankfully, or copy and paste that. We got some uh, just general information about the system that we just compromised. And now the fun stuff, right? So we get over to modules. We list out the modules. So now, if you've used Silent Trinity before, you'll see that it's a little bit different here because you got the Iron Python modules, and then you got the Boolean modules. So you have a choice of like, and both of them have pros and cons, which we've talked about. Like, you can't really call native methods with the Python module, so you kind of have to use the Boolean modules for that. But just to give you a demonstration real quick, I'm going to use the, the Iron Python message box module, OK? The options, you get the title and the text. just as it's just going to pop a message box. And then you run it on the endpoint, which will result in, I'm assuming that's it. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. There's the message box. What's great about this is that uh, you can take advantage. This isn't normal Python. This is Iron Python, which is based on .NET. So you can take advantage of .net's tasking and thread, threading to actually make this agent asynchronous. So if you like, just stack up a bunch of modules to run here, you'll see that it'll just keep popping message box because it's the, the agent itself is fully asynchronous. So while it's executing other modules, it keeps calling back for more jobs, if that makes sense.
0: Quick question. And this bypasses an up-to-date MS Defender install.
1: Yep. And we're gonna be going into a Mimi Cats module straight after this. So I guess I can show you I'm not cheating here.
0: And a lot of people were loving this. And one guy said, uh, or Jim said, "Ooh, so many ideas uh, how to screw with Defer."
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the, hopefully, like part of this webinar was to convey this in a little bit more understanding way because I think I did a really bad job at my DerbyCon talk. I didn't really fully like explain well how this actually works. Uh, just to give you an idea, so real-time protection, cloud protection is on, the only thing that's turned off is automatic sample submission because I don't want Microsoft you know, getting my malware. So uh, let me pop this. So what's, it's gonna be fun looking at the server now after you pop all those because you'll see that it, they all return results as the thread exited. So it's, it's completely asynchronous, which is fantastic.
0: I got one Um, more question. This has come up a few times. Have you tried this against a .NET 4.8 early preview that has built-in anti-malware methods?
1: Yeah, I have not yet, but I have, I know a friend who's sort of been doing like the initial research on it, and apparently it's not really as fleshed out as it should be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until that's actually like completely stable, and I'm going to test it out against it and see what happens, because I feel like if I do that now, it's not, it's not fair because it's, the, I think the release is still in beta, so it's it's not even it's not even
0: completed yet. One other comment is someone's going to use it today. They've got an EDR to test. That's awesome.
1: Yes, definitely. Let me know. I've tested this against a couple of them. Uh, my recommendation to testing this against EDRs is to use the MS Build Stager because if you use the PowerShell Stager, it's sort of the, it's the PowerShell stuff is only there for convenience. Like it's sort of defeating the purpose of using PowerShell if you use this tool. So, and speaking of that, we're going to jump right into a Mimikatz module. Okay, so we got the IronPython Mimikatz module here. Okay, so it runs the standard privilege debug, secure LSA, yada yada yada, log on passwords, not an secretary. Right? <laughs> All right, wait, let me start a administrator PowerShell session so I can run Mimikatz. Okay, let me just copy and paste this. So now we're going to get a session running as local admin okay so we got a new session here Um, and just before i do that so it like empire if it's in a high integrity process the uh, session will have like a little asterisk in front of the user so that's just a quick way of doing it so let's try to run this on the new session now there you go we've run MimiCats. in so breaking this down okay we're using C-sharp, inline C-sharp task within an MS build file that embeds an Iron Python engine that executes Python code, which then embeds another Iron Python engine that executes the actual module that we send out, okay? So let's talk about, so I think uh, that's pretty cool. And there's like a bunch of other modules as well. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna show you the, the uh, mouse shaker one because that's just funny. So get this is a BooLang payload now. Did I do that on the right thing? Yeah, there you go. So you can see that my mouse is now going crazy. Um, So that's a a BooLang payload uh, that uh, executes BooLang interactively on the fly. And there's a bunch of others, like I could probably be here all day. Execute assembly, if you're familiar with like that, the Cobalt Strike execute assembly command, that's exactly what it does. Takes a C-sharp executable and just executes it in memory. And again, the reason why we can do this is because these languages are completely interoperable with each other, right? There's an inter- internal monologue. Let's talk about detection for a minute. So, what's really interesting, actually, this is MS Build. So, all right, let's see. Let's open up Process Explorer real quick. There you go. So, properties. Does it have yes? Oh, and uh, damn it. Right, Wait one second. Let me start this as administrator rights. So, Process Explorer. For those of you don't know, Process Explorer can view loaded app domains and assemblies that are being used in .NET processes. So uh, if you just go over here to the MS build pass that we spun up, you'll see that the .NET CLR is loaded, right? And this is sort of the main problem that I'm going to tackle uh, now. Well, not now, but like after I get done with this webinar. But um, so you can see here that in the app domain, we have the Iron Python assemblies loaded and the Boolang assembly is loaded, which itself really isn't a IOC per se, but the thing is they're not image-backed, right? So these, you can see, because these, all of these other assemblies have an image backing, so they have an assembly on this. These don't. The reason why is because they were dynamically loaded, right? So that's one possible IOC, right? Another IOC is obviously the name Silent Trinity, which, okay, that's a dead giveaway. But PE loader, so this PE loader right here is actually a modified version of SharpSploit's portable executable loader, which is what's used in the Mimikatz module to load Mimikatz, right? So it's, it's a C Sharp PE loader. So if you're using just the standard SharpSploit library, you would see that that would that would be SharpSploit in there. So that's another potential I see. So the current problem right now with Silent Trinity is that it loads everything in a single app domain. So if you went to actually inspect the process and you actually went to uh, dump all the assemblies that are loaded, you will see that like a bunch of known malicious C-sharp libraries and and, uh, assemblies are loaded, right? I have figured out a way around that because apparently you can embed Iron Python engines within a different app domain. So what that means is that and this is something that I actually wanted to get working for this webinar, but I just didn't have enough time to figure out some of the bugs that I encountered. But what that means is that you can spin up a separate app domain for each executed module. So when the Mimikatz module executes, for example, it will be in a separate app domain, and then after it executes, the app domain will get unloaded. So when you actually go to inspect the process, you won't see the sharpsploit module loaded unless you grab it right when it's executing, which is almost impossible because it takes like a couple, only like a second to execute. So you can totally do that. And I am like almost 95% there. I just need a little bit more time to figure all the bugs out. So this is one potential IOC, which you can detect using Process Explorer or something. The problem is at scale, this doesn't really work that well. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. So let's go into detection.
0: Is the silent trinity in the task manager part of the de-weaponization?
1: I'm not exactly sure what uh, that means. But I'm going to assume he means if he can see it in the task manager. Um, If not, I mean, so depending on how you execute the stager, you could, like if you just run uh, if you just run the sound Trinity c sharp binary you will obviously see the c sharp process the sound Trinity process but the thing is like you can embed it in po- in powershell you can embed it in msbuild because like it, it this stuff executes c sharp so you'd be you'd be only be able to see like msbuild.exe or powershell.exe if that makes sense
0: and then uh, uh app whitelisting has been coming up a lot so have you found app whitelisting like bit9 capable of blocking this attack ignoring the implications implications of edr detection
1: yeah, so I have tested this against a number of EDRs. The thing is when whitelisting is involved, I mean like, like any other, I'm gonna go back to the, uh, the here. Like any other uh, like binary, like this is the this is the silent Trinity C sharp stager, like it, that's just a C sharp assembly, right? Uh, this is the MS build stager. So in order to get around whitelisting, you you just have to use like a, a known whitelisting bypass which is why MSBuild is built into the sign Trinity. The, the MSBuild stager that I just showed you here, that's a whitelisting bypass. So I know it actually does get detected on some, this thing does get detected on like a couple of hours, but this is just a straight up whitelisting bypass. There really isn't, because there are no optics in .NET right now, there really isn't a way for EDRs to hook into the .NET framework, the underlying .NET framework, in order to actually detect this stuff. And this is where like this detection slide comes in, because so .NET 4.8, as w- as it was brought up, like has amsi integration already. Now I'm gonna wait until it's it's just full, like fully stable, and and then test on Trinity, because like uh, the beta I feel like would would give me like false confidence and stuff. So I'm gonna wait until that's done. Uh, there has also been a lot of awesome. Um, like proof of concept detection mechanisms being done by Manifestation and Ryan Cobbs of SpecterOps. So Manifestation came out with the collect.net events PowerShell script that hooks into ETW, which is a basically a low-level logging mechanism of Windows. That's probably like the most high-level way of describing it. And you can actually enumerate uh, assemblies being loaded in real time by hooking ETW. Uh, the problem with this is there really isn't a tool to do this at scale so like for enterprise stuff like they re- it's not feasible to do this um so we have to wait until microsoft implements optics and net in order to for like security edr solutions to actually support uh detecting this these kind this kind of stuff crabs etw is basically a c plus C++ wrapper on uh for etw as the name implies uh so Potentially you could like write a tool for your organization that does this in C++, um, but like, yeah, that probably is gonna take a decent amount of effort. There's also a really good talk by Luke Jenning on Blue Hat version, uh, Blue Hack 18, Blue Hat 18, uh, which talks about to resin implants and talks, a, 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 it talks about some of what I just described and some detection mechanisms as well. And I think he wrote a Python script that hooks into ETW as well. So there's that. Uh, Countercept, uh, which I think is an MWR company, I might be wrong, you quote me on that, uh, did a really cool blog post on hunting for Silent Trinity, which actually has some of the uh, detection mechanisms that I uh, just told you. And also Ryan Cobbs, big shout out to him because he put together the sharpsploit library, which is what allows the MemeCats thing to run currently. And uh, he put together a cute, uh, nice blog post which had some of these detection mechanisms in, in there as well. So, yeah, like right now, all of the detection me- mechanisms for this are very fragile because they're all based on like the class names, on the namespace names. They're really flat, fragile detection mechanisms. There really isn't a good way of inspecting the actual code running. And like to get a wa- so you have to rely on multiple IOCs in order to properly detect this kind of attack. So I hope that makes sense. Um, and future work, really quickly, because I think I'm pretty much over all the time that we had. Uh, job control, uh, right now there really isn't a way of like managing jobs uh, in the agent, so that has to be done. I'd like to see C2 profiles. Uh, I know I can do it, because from the way I designed it, I just have to take the time to do it. More modules and comms, I actually have a pastebin C2 listener, almost 70% done. Uh, I just have to hook it up client side. Restful API for automating things. If you're familiar with Death Star, um, I want to port that over to Silent Trinity, so like you can just do the same thing that you did with Empire and Silent Trinity, which would be really cool. More languages. I like to see Iron Ruby in here because why not give Ruby some love? Run modules in disposable app domains. That is my main focus right now. I'm 95% there. So loading, unloading those assemblies after a module executes is sort of a big deal because like that would get rid of uh, the current detection mechanism of looking through like the the the, current, the, uh, the process after module executes and seeing like all the the evil assemblies, right? So that, that's sort of my main focus right now. Okay, now questions.
0: Uh, we got time for a few. Is msbuild.exe that is communicating back and forth to the C2 server?
1: msbuild.exe, yeah, I mean, so if you look at it through Process Explorer, yes, yes, absolutely.
0: There was one here, let's see, he hated you. There we go. Uh, he he says he loves that he hates you right now, I think. Um, what about orgs that do SSL MITM and run a sandbox on the line? Are you capable of encrypting the, the zip file and, and decrypting on pull?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what this new version does. So uh, the new version has fully encrypted uh, communication between the server and the client. So if you inspect the wire, you'll only see just blobs of data being pl- transferred back and forth via https um you won't be able to see any of the actual stuff like the actual stuff because it's all encrypted using a public key
0: exchange and then somebody wants to know what your twitter handle is on uh, uh, what your uh, twitter handle is
1: yeah. there it is
0: okay let's see and There was a lot of questions. I mean, the consensus from all the questions coming in is that this is amazing and really awesome. And you're, you're blowing a lot of minds of like uh, defense and defer guys and people, and they're trying to figure out how to do this. So uh, any final words or thoughts um, for today's webcast?
1: Um, I would probably say uh, to the defensive guys that don't worry, because this is, we're, we're going back to the cat and mouse game again because of the, the integration of the .NET. The problem with that is it's in 4.8. So unless Microsoft forcibly updates all of the .NET framework versions on Windows 10 machines to 4.8, I'm gonna probably guess like it'll be a problem like having .NET 4.8, <laughs> but like you'd have to update your entire organization's .NET framework version, which it can be done probably i don't know Uh, that that's the only thing but uh, at the end of the day we're going back to the cat and mouse game so this is basically the era of when powershell offensive tradecraft were discovered Uh, in a couple of years this is going to be is probably going to be shut down at least partially
0: all right so this was a black hills information security webcast if you need penetration testing or threat hunting or red teaming don't forget us at black hills And then uh, this will be available on our YouTube channel, and we'll also put it on the blog. Marcelo, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank thank you you. all for listening. Thank you.
1: Have a good day. All
0: right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast to leave us a positive review on your streaming service.